Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I've always also had a very deep love for the craft of a joke, but I realized not everybody gets jokes. There's a big difference between someone like Norm MacDonald making a joke at somebody's expense and somebody who is not a comedian making fun of someone. So how do you define what's being done with comedic intent? If you have two sets of rules, how do you how do you figure out who the comedian rules apply to? I don't think anybody thinks that they don't have a sense of humor, which might be part of the problem. I don't think anybody thinks, I don't get jokes. Has anybody ever admitted that? And they derived a certain smug pleasure out of on Norm MacDonald. And meanwhile, think to themselves, I'm so much funnier than this guy. I should be on stage. Do you think anybody thinks that they're as good as LeBron James at basketball? No way. No, no one thinks that. Hey, welcome to The Create Unknown, the home of Make Something Mean Something. I am Kevin Lieber. It is TCU night, and we have a lovely packed house here live on Discord with all of our patrons. And really quickly, I just wanted to say thank you to all of our patrons for consistently coming through and hanging out with us and asking us questions and supporting the show. It's It really does mean a lot, and you make the show happen. And I don't think that you get enough credit from us, from me in particular at least. So thank you so much to our patrons. And with me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. Yeah, uh, you don't give the patrons enough credit. You're hateful toward the patrons. <laughs> actively. The, the, this is why I... <laughs> you're actively out to get them. The worst thing any of you could have done was give your address to Patreon. Ooh, we're going to ship you things. Ooh, you'll get a, a t-shirt. All the, No, no. Kevin's got a file on you. It's like three inches thick. He's been tracking you for years and he's coming for you. It's true. It's true. I hope that that... That that turkey jerky stick was worth it because your <laughs> life is ruined <laughs> in exchange for that <laughs> dehydrated meat tube. <laughs> but, <laughs> Who knew that would be their last meals? That would be the last thing you'll ever eat. But uh, no, I, I genuinely do mean it. I, and I don't thank you enough. So I wanted to make that clear and and remind myself to give you guys some 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 props right here at the top of this episode. So thank you to all of our baby gang, infantry, dumpster crew, and our $2 tots and creator tier, the, yeah. the penthouse tier of the Create Unknown. Uh, you're all awesome. Absolutely. 
Uh, today, Guys though, like Linus and Trev, and it makes a tremendous difference. Yeah, it makes a tremendous difference. Yeah, yeah. It's it's why we get to do what we do for all of you. So I've been thinking for a couple of weeks now about uh, Norm Macdonald, who passed away, and I'm ready with some thoughts that I would love to kind of throw at you. I've been pretty much just watching clips of Norm on late night talk shows, stuff from Weekend Update on SNL the Bob Saget roast, uh, interviews and, and, you know, Howard Stern and, and other, uh, like long form interviews that he did podcasts and stuff. And there was something kind of like nagging at me that I, I'm going to try to articulate in real time right now on this podcast. So please bear with me as I may or may not fumble through these thoughts, but, but here's what I have for you to digest Matt, it is it is this. Okay. So first of all, uh, Norm was clearly a guy who loved jokes, and I mean, like the format of jokes, the classic format of jokes where you just have a setup mm-hmm. and a punchline. He he loved them to the point where, for instance, he had this very short-lived show called like. <laughs> the sports show or something with Norm, Norm Macdonald. I can't remember what it was called I now, remember but it was, it was that yeah. generic. It, yeah. I think it was sports show. Yeah. And it lasted about 14 minutes. It was over before it began almost. But my point is that yeah. the, at the end of that show, um, he would call it garbage time. And the last like 90 seconds of that program, he would just tell jokes that had nothing to do often with sports or, even entertainment and they could just be about life uh, or some of them were pretty foul and just like kind of blue-ish jokes or at least bl- as blue as you could get away with on Comedy Central he would just tell those jokes another thing he did was he had um, a podcast that he did where uh, he would read jokes and he would all- also ask his guests to read jokes off of cards off of little like blue cards that he, he would have like you know you watch uh, a late night show and they have those little blue cards like Conan or Letterman or whatever that has the questions on them. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He would just have jokes on those and, and he would hand the joke card to like Gilbert Gottfried or Drew Barrymore or whomever he had. And, and they would just cold have to read these jokes off the card and, and just doing that he found very funny. So the guy was obsessed with the craft and the art of jokes. And the reason why I'm going long on this is because it's important to set up my point. When I was younger, when I was in middle school, high school, I, uh, I upset people several times, <laughs> like made people very upset by making jokes that would be, you know, at their expense, okay? But it, is this a confessional episode, it, Kevin? Is it's it, a little bit. <laughs> you, it's a little bit. Apologize to everybody in your past. <laughs> Look, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like atoning for me being a bully. <laughs> right. No, the concept of me being a bully is very, very funny and absurd in it in and of itself. Uh, <laughs> it just didn't work that way, but um. But there were there were several times I can think of three right off the top of my head people who are like really upset with jokes that I made where I didn't want to upset them 
I was not making a joke okay. from a malicious place. I didn't hate these people. They were my they were my friends or they were my classmates and I I liked them. I cared for them. Like th- they were maybe not my best friends, but they were people who I interacted with on a daily basis and was friendly with. But I couldn't pass up the opportunity to make a joke that I thought was funny because I love jokes as well is the point. Uh bringing it back to to kind of like how I've seen how Norm interacts and his love for jokes. I've always also had a very, very, very long and deep love for the craft of a joke. But I realized you can't, like, not, not everybody uh, loves jokes. Not everybody gets jokes, first they of all. really don't. No, and that's a thing. That's a, a real problem, and we, we see that on uh, places like Twitter. It's amazing. So some of those some of the sites that have like multiple people, you know, most Facebook posts and threads and stuff don't have a whole lot of people participating in them. They, they don't, but it's easy to see somebody tweet something and then see like a hundred different reactions and you get the entire spectrum. You get the, the whole bell curve of people loving it too much, people having a normal reaction all the way down to the ones who clearly don't get it. And I didn't appreciate how few people understood humor uh, until <laughs> until I I really started to spend time on Twitter because there I saw that in action and I, it's one of those things uh, where I, I it's very tough to conceive of somebody not getting a joke or valuing a joke uh, or even understanding what a joke is but it's out there in the world it's 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 definitely out there in the world. I think if ever if anybody uh, has spent time on social media, they will notice people not getting the. I mean, there's a there's a whole meme called Woosh for a reason, right? Like R slash Woosh, and the whole point of Woosh is that the 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 joke flew over your head. You didn't get it. You missed it. My my favorite thing, by the way, just to uh, go back a second to the Twitter thing, is when people play off of the joke and add to it. Or create their version of the joke. Like if I tweet something, if I tweet a joke and people add to it or alter it or just also play with it, I really, really, really like that. Uh, Conversely, if people take it literally and try to like correct me in some manner, I really, really do not like that. (laughs) That I find extremely, extremely annoying but it disrupts the flow. Even, even if you've made a mistake or somebody's just adding something to it, that's, that's like serious on, on a thing that's not serious. It, that disrupts the flow. It just alters the vibe a little bit. Yeah. I just, it just is annoying when people are, like, uh, that's actually not true. It's like, yeah, it's a joke. That's the point. <laughs> like that's what jokes are not true. They're jokes. Like that's, there's an element of surprise. There's no element of surprise. There's no joke. But what I was thinking, though, when it came to Norm, when it came to when it comes to com comedians and comedy in general, kind of like here's sort of where I landed with my thoughts on this. And this is something the reason I'm bringing up is I've never heard anybody talk about this before. Maybe they have. I don't actually listen to a lot of like comedians podcasts. So maybe this is something that people have discussed. But the thing is, is there's a big difference between someone like Norm MacDonald making a joke at somebody's expense 
and somebody who is not a comedian making fun of someone. Like these are not the same thing. Like a Norm MacDonald making a joke about someone or a, a type of person or whatever, there is not malicious intent there. They don't hate that person. They're, they, they don't have, <laughs> no. they're, they're not trying to put them down. They're just trying to make a good joke. And that's what, <laughs> that's what I was trying to do when I really hurt these people's feelings and I felt terrible afterwards. It wasn't like I was like, oh, well, screw them. They didn't get my joke. Like that was not how I reacted. I reacted yeah. like, oh no, like they took this very seriously. I was just kidding. And there's almost no yeah. way to walk it that back hard. after they no. have an, that emotional reaction. You can't just be like, I, it was just a joke. It's like, that, does, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that doesn't, that is uh, not, uh, not a balm that soothes any wound. <laughs> no, but, but you see this amongst a lot of friend groups, right? Like if you are amongst a friend group, you can tell jokes at each other's expense and everyone will laugh. Yeah, you rip on your friends. You rip sure. on your friends. Like that's part of the camaraderie of that group of friends. You have your inside jokes and everything and people can poke and prod and tease each other to, to an extent that doesn't cross the line, but it can still be pretty offensive if you were outside of that circle. Um, but ultimately my point is like last week when we were talking about demonetization, I brought up the fact that music videos have different rules. Like music has different rules on YouTube than non-musical content as far as what they can say and show. I think everyone is clear on that. I think Coffee Break, when he did his analysis of YouTube trending, even discussed that at some point, right? Um, I think that the the a problem that we have culturally is not being more clear that comedians need to have different sets of rules for being able to poke at people and things and scenarios and situations and circumstances and not get in trouble for it. So how do you define what's being done with comedic intent? What do you mean? Who's a comedian in that scenario? Like if you have two sets of rules, how do you how do you figure out who who the comedian rules apply to. Well, we've seen people who are obviously comedians get in trouble for like Norm MacDonald. What oh, yeah. got in trouble. Yeah. Like you see this all the time where it's like somebody snuck a cell phone into this, uh, standup guy, you know, whoever Chappelle or it doesn't matter. Go down the list. And they did this thing and you're not going to believe it. Now everybody's outraged. It's like, I'm talking about like literal professional comedians. I don't even care at this okay. point. In this discussion, like my point is not even coming down to like Kevin Lieber should be able to get away with saying offensive things on Twitter. Like that's not my point. My point is is like Bill Burr needs to be able to push buttons and people need to be okay with that. That's his role in our society. If you can't let if you can't let those guys tell jokes, uh, it really kind of kills the concept of humor. Uh once you once you start regulating that kind of thing it's very hard to be funny it reminds me of um it reminds me of uh, how how content of all kinds uh in the soviet union was was tightly regulated you know there were quite a few jokes that you couldn't make this stuff in the 60s and 70s especially was not great entertainment it wasn't very good it wasn't very funny it wasn't 
the stuff you'd see on talent shows wasn't very good. I mean, it was all so uh, strangled so that uh, it would be inoffensive that the product was just bad, just bad. And it's it's the same with uh, with humor stuff, right down to uh, people who have Twitter accounts that are meant to be funny. How many do we know who have just been nuked over and over and or have given up? They're off the platform um, and they're not even doing it for a living. They're just doing humor as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I just don't I haven't heard this, not at least to like in framed in this way and contextualized in this way. Like you hear ad nauseum people discuss cancel culture and and i get that and whatever whatever side you land on that like like that's not even what i'm really talking about or, or care about i mean specifically when it comes to comedians the fact is is that they have a language of joke telling that requires you to get a little dirty and to to like make people uncomfortable like if you're not allowed to do that then that's a scary proposition i think and and the other thing is like if a certain percentage of people don't understand jokes and don't get humor and they're upset about it what how what do we do with that like how do we handle that like that seems like a rough situation to be like look you don't get it stay out of it that you do see what i'm saying it's it's a weird situation yeah the problem is that they want to police the thing they don't get. So right. what I think of is, by the way, I, I do want to say one, one thing that Conrad pointed out in the episode chat, when you're we talking about, um, uh, you know, the comedian being able to get away with things that a normal person couldn't, he, he said, that's the, the court jester syndrome where if anybody else made those same jokes in front of, or to the King, you know, they'd be beheaded. Uh, that's, that's just a, a good analogy for the, for what you were talking about. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, when with this element, um, I don't I don't really like eating fish. Okay, imagine if I made a, a point to be a fish regulator at restaurants. You know, just being like, you can't make fish this way. Oh no, I don't eat it. Doesn't matter to me. But I'm going to be very concerned about how your fish tastes. That's weird, and people would think it was just bizarre and uh, me butting in, and t- it would be totally inappropriate. Well. That's what a lot of the people who don't get humor are doing rather than just saying, I don't know what's going on here. I don't get it. This isn't for me. Have at it. Uh, they want to you know, clamp down on it somehow or express disapproval or whatever. And it's, I don't know how you fix that. No, but that's such a good point that you bring up. And I'm that now I'm glad that we're getting somewhere with this because it's true. It's like, Look, this is not your thing. It's like, you know what? You know what? I, I'm not a huge fan of soccer. It's not for me. I don't like watching it. I am not interested in, in changing the rules <laughs> of soccer games or soccer matches or, you know, football. Like, I, I'm not going to say, hey, look, uh, there's got to be two goalies from now on because, <laughs> you know, one is not enough. Uh, we need two goalies, uh, and that's those are the rules from now on. It's like no, I'm I'm not butting in on soccer talk. What we're seeing, what we're seeing with the comedy people, the comedy scolds. It's it's more like uh, you giving me a hard time because I watched the Euros. Like you didn't, you know. It, I was watching England go through the Euros, and and I liked those games, and I made an effort to go see, you know, at, at uh, 
like on a big TV somewhere and all of that. It's yeah, you don't like soccer, but you weren't like texting me and saying, what are you doing? That's disgusting. Yeah. How could you go watch that game? No, you didn't. You're, you're like, no. oh, he's enjoying. <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> he's enjoying this sport that I happen not to enjoy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who cares? But with, with the comedy schools, it's a completely different mood. It's like, I don't like it. Therefore, you should not be allowed to like it. And if you continue to like it, then uh, I'm going to judge you harshly. And, and uh, you're a bad person. You know, yeah. You're a bad person. Yeah. Yep. And the other thing is. I don't think anybody thinks that they don't have a sense of humor, which might be part of the problem. That's true. Like, I don't think anybody mm. thinks I don't get jokes. Has anybody ever admitted that? I've heard people say they don't really like yeah. music. And we know that like amusia is a, um, is a condition where people just get no emotional lift from listening to music and it's boring and, and, or uninteresting it sounds to them. bad. Yeah. yeah. Like you remember the thing, I remember uh, one thing that came up in the research that you did about how uh, to somebody it sounded like pots and pans clanging, that it not only wasn't pleasant to them, but it was a decidedly unpleasant sound mm -hmm. uh, to process. And I, it, I have a feeling that, that humor is like that too. Um, occasionally, occasionally you'll, you'll hear like we, we've been, you know, talking about a show we watched on Netflix, Love on the Spectrum. Uh, there are some people who are very self-aware uh, and understand that they have like certain social deficiencies. In that case, due to uh, due to being somewhere on the autism spectrum, occasionally they'll be like, "Yeah, I don't pick up on on you know certain social cues or things like that." And I uh, there are some people who understand that they don't get jokes, but this is an incredibly tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. There's nobody like you could you could look at me and say, "Well." how are you at running? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm not a fast runner at this point in my life. I'm just not. <laughs> no, at no and point I'm in my comfortable life. Saying that I, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm comfortable saying that I am not, not the quickest guy. If you need somebody to run for help, it shouldn't be me. Um, but if you ask somebody like, are you funny? They, nobody's going to be like, actually, that's not at all one of my strengths. That's just, that's just something that <laughs> like on the, the character slider when, when I was made, they put that down to like a one or a two. Nobody says this. Well, not only that, you always hear when, whenever they do those dating things, like, what are you looking for? Oh, someone to make me laugh. Someone with a good sense of humor. Like that, that is in the top, like two, almost always of what people are looking for. Yeah. So like, of course, no one is going to be like, I don't, I don't understand humor. And there's, and humor is like a, in a, an umbrella, you know, there's different forms of humor. And, and I suppose like jokes are just one like vertical under that umbrella. But again, so, so there, here was this other thing. Malcolm Gladwell wrote this article that was like, I don't think Norm Macdonald was funny. And in, and in the article, this was after he died. This was after he died. So after Norm Macdonald died, okay. this was so weird. <laughs> this this That's this bold. just like further goes into my point about this. how like weird we treat humor in society. Malcolm Gladwell, after Norm Macdonald passed away, and literally everybody is talking about how much they loved Norm and how funny he was. Mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell, like saunters up to his keyboard and types up some article about how he didn't think norm donald's was funny and in the article 
I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember exactly what he said. He more or less admits that he doesn't like comedy. Like, I'm pretty sure he's like, much. I don't really like SNL and I don't like this. And it's funny if you don't like SNL, but but he he kind of runs down this list of like famous comedic outlets that he doesn't care for. It's like, well, why are you writing this article? Why are you writing this article about he, how you didn't find Norm funny and when you don't like what funny things? <laughs> what, what is yeah, your problem? I mean, that's the angle he takes. That essay, which I, I threw in the episode chat, um, it, he describes himself as an outsider to humor. <laughs> it's, it's a really strange thing because I can't even, um, uh, I can't even quite comprehend being that. You know, it's one of those things that like, like I, I, I don't know, I can't comprehend what it would feel like to not breathe air or to like breathe underwater. They're just, the way things have kind of always been, I can't think of anything uh any change to it you know but that's what he's doing is like i i'm an outsider on funny things he says let me analyze i I pulled it it up you put it in the episode chat he literally says word Mm -hmm. for word verbatim i'm not someone who cares that much about comedy then what's the point of your (laughs) article dude like why would i am i gonna write again let's go back to soccer am i gonna write an article about how ronaldo actually sucks you know what i think christian ronaldo was not a good soccer player. I don't watch soccer and I actually don't even like it. Um, but here's why I think that he wasn't all that good. It's like, what are you doing? It's totally possible to critique somebody like Norm Macdonald and say, I don't really like that style of things. I don't like these jokes where it could be one sentence with a setup and a punchline or a hundred words. No, I like these very long expositions of things rather than taking a little bite and then me having to push and pull on it to, you know, find it funny and find meaning and stuff. I'd rather read a satirical novel that's like 400 pages and well-written. Okay, fine. That's an actual argument. Um, and you could say that Norm Macdonald's style was, was lesser because you considered this other thing great, but that's not what Malcolm Gladwell appears to be doing here. No, if you're like, I, I love um, Jack Handy or David Sedaris, uh, you know, they're more highbrow to me. And this is kind of like, you know, lowbrow, blue collar comedy. And I'm, I'm, it's not for me. Like, okay, I, I guess that's right. fine for you to write an essay about. I guess even that seems weird to me. Valid, sure. Sure. Uh, at least it's coming from some sort of place where you're contrasting it with the thing that you do like. But to contrast it with the yeah. thing, like, I don't like this at all, and I don't like this guy in particular, it's like, oh, oh okay, what exactly are you doing here? Like, <laughs> why did you come in here? Why did you enter this arena? Why You don't want, you don't like to play in this ball pit. Get, get out of the ball pit. But I think that people, yeah. again, we have a strange, maybe it's an American thing. I don't know. You know, maybe cross-culturally. This doesn't quite exist as much. Like, do Germans really care about senses of humor? I, I have no idea. Do, like, Nordic people, do the, do the Japanese? I have no idea. But in America, like, it's it seems really important, this concept of having a good sense of humor. And yeah. whatever percentage of the population have don't have access to it sure. seem, like, unwilling to admit they don't they don't like it or they don't have one or they don't get it. It's a yeah. very strange phenomenon, I think, at least in America. And I don't know what we, we do about it. Attitudes. 
But I just wanted to throw this out there, especially when you see people like what you're talking about, where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I hate this thing and I'm going to ruin it for everyone. It's like, well, why though? That's not fair. This comes up, this came up with, you know, two weeks ago, uh, we go online and, and it's blasting everywhere that Norm Macdonald's dead. You know, people immediately started sharing their favorite clips. Like the group chats were just a constant stream of them. Um, on the discord here, there were a couple people who, who put some things up, you know, we were talking about it. It seemed like everybody immediately went to their favorite bits. And a lot of those bits are probably not things that you could post. You wouldn't be able to go on the Vsauce 2 account and, and be like, hey, I know, you know, this is a little different, but I really liked Norm MacDonald and here's one of my favorite bits. Uh, you'd have to be really selective about what bit that was. And even if you, you had one that was appropriate, how many people are going to jump in the comments and be like, don't you know about those other things that he said? Those terrible, awful things? Those other jokes that weren't funny? Well, that's, that's kind of my point is like, uh, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about <laughs> those people saying those jokes weren't funny. Like, I don't care if you didn't think it was funny. Go away. <laughs> be quiet. Yeah. It's not for you then. Yeah. Like, move along. Like, why do you have to chime in? Like Malcolm Gladwell, why do you have to chime in? Go away. <laughs> it's so Yeah, I think weird. it's really strange that he thought that he would have to weigh in. And but it's not any different than just you know, if you do have a Twitter account, you can literally tweet about anything, with very few exceptions. Anything is on the table for you to talk about or to talk to somebody else about. Why would you stop and police somebody else's joke? Unless it's like directly offensive and hurtful to you. How does it even land on your radar? How does that happen? Uh, I don't know, but but I'll tell you, there are plenty of jokes, some of which I have sent to you privately that are pretty funny that I've come up with that I would never tweet in a billion years that aren't, that aren't, they're not bad. They're, they're not even mean. No, they're not. They're not bad. They're not mean, but you no. know that there's that whatever percent that would be really upset by it. And it's like, well, that's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not even worth it to make nine out of 10 people laugh. If that one person is going to rage, it's not worth it. And that that's like a sorry state, I think, to be in when that's the case. But it's just the way it is. It's just the way that it is. And there's nothing that I can foresee that we can do to get people to understand that no. like a certain percentage of people nope. will never get will never get jokes they'll never find them funny however they will critique them it's such it's such a bizarre thing yeah and this has come up uh in the episode chat uh, a lot of times i forget who said it first uh but charles khan just said it again about the, the people who are mad often become what makes the joke funny like they, they're, <laughs> they're being angry about it or uh, not getting it and refusing to admit that they don't get it uh that Oh man, that is usually funnier than the joke itself. <laughs> so I don't know. It would be a lot more boring if there weren't people going bananas over uh, these actually lightly offensive things. Yeah. Yeah. I just think like generally speaking, there could be much better jokes out there if it weren't for this phenomenon. The, the world would be a funnier place if it wasn't constantly being 
like cut off at the knees by people who don't like jokes to begin with. <laughs> it's so it's so well, dumb. There's something that I that I wanted to ask you about Norm Macdonald because I was thinking about it. Um, I was thinking about it the other day about how what an asset his style was in terms of practice. Because if you're if you're somebody like like a Gilbert Godfrey, you can't go around all day using that voice, and that's not his normal voice. Um, back in the day, Mitch Hedberg wasn't wasn't uh, kind of acting like that behind the scenes. You know, he had a different persona behind the scenes. Gallagher wasn't smashing watermelons all day, uh, but Norm Macdonald dealt in kind of funny stories and one-liners and simple jokes that he could do all day long. As long as you're talking to somebody else, you can practice that kind of comedy. Uh, is there something to that where, where the people who focus on, on that style just have this unlimited practice in their daily lives compared to something that that you can only do in a certain time and place. Well, look, that's why everybody loved Norm. And that's why people from like Conan O'Brien to David Letterman to, I mean, the, the top tier people in comedy were all like Norm was the best because he could yeah. go into any comedic situation and be the funniest person there. Whether, I mean, there was uh, Justin Wang retweeted or, or tweeted something where for some god awful reason, YouTube did this like comedy awards or something several, like many, many years ago. I don't know when it was, like 2013 ago, or yeah. 2014. There was a stretch there where, yeah. where YouTube were, were doing these award shows for some reason. Uh, just, I don't know. They were trying things out. And that was one of the things they tried out. I think they did it once and then never again. And for some reason. <laughs> They realized nobody was funny at all. <laughs> they were like, gosh, this is terrible. Like, we just have this box full of awards in the closet that we weren't able to give out because <laughs> nobody deserved them. But they had Jenny Slate and Kasim G hosting it. And then Norm, for some reason, was there too. And he was just in this like baggy sweatshirt and sweatpants. He like clearly <laughs> like purposefully didn't take it seriously. Like he showed up looking like a bum. And it was unscripted. I mean, he's just, you know, that he just showed up there and was like, ah, what are we doing? Uh, who, who the hell are these people? What is this thing? And, and he just plopped, they plop him down. Some producer plops Norm down on this couch and they're just like, okay, go. And he went. And some of the funniest stuff, some of the funniest Norm material was from that of him just riffing and making fun of this makeshift, completely out of their depth weird youtube comedy event and meanwhile he could show up on the on late night with david letterman as the last stand-up comedian that ever performed for letterman who could have been anyone letterman could have chose mm -hmm. seinfeld he could have chose chris rock yeah. he could have chose dave Chappelle. he could have chose anyone he could have chose steve martin and he chose right, yeah. norm mcdonald so Look at the contrast between those two things where he can go to like the upper echelon, the penthouse of the comedy world, and then he can go down in the sewer, <laughs> which is this YouTube event, and crush it, crush it in both areas, <laughs> crush it because he was just so funny and he was so obsessed with, I think, jokes. He was just obsessed with making jokes and it yeah. seemed to me like that's all he thought about all the time he wasn't in it for like 
the social element or, you know, people will get into comedy for different things, make money, make friends, whatever. It seemed like je- jo- jokes were why Norm got into comedy and it, it shined through. So yeah, like some guys will, some, some comedians will put on personas like Larry, the cable guy is a cartoon character. That guy's name is like Dan Whitney. It's not even, it's not Larry and he's not a cable yeah. guy. That's his character. <laughs> and he has made millions of dollars as Larry the Cable Guy. And, and, you know, more power to him. Congrats, dude. That's that's amazing. But Norm didn't have to be a character. He was just funny no matter what situation he was in. But he was one, you know, one of a kind in that. There's not, that's a short list of people who you just stick around and pluck, pluck, pluck out and into different situations. And, uh, and he's the funniest person there. But again, it's like, I get that because I get what he was doing. You know, they were calling him like a comedian's comedian because all the comics always understood what he was doing. So, for example, he bombed terribly at that Bob Saget roast really, really bad on purpose because, well, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, he didn't want to roast Bob Saget because he loves Bob Saget. Bob and and Norm were very very close, so he didn't want to make That's fun our of our coworker Bob Saget. By the way, our peer, yes, Bob Saget, Studio Seventy One's uh, own. Bob Saget's podcast is <laughs> yeah is, is also on the Studio Seventy One network. And so, what that makes Bob Saget to us is a close personal friend in real life. That's right. So, so Norm <laughs> didn't want to roast Bob Saget. A B, he didn't want to uh, be blue. He didn't want to curse. Because, but that's part of the point of roasts is that, oh my gosh, can you believe like how foul they're being with their language? Oh, it's, it's just part of the thing. It's part of the, the, right. You get one of the golden girls, like making a horrible sex joke. That's kind of part of the charm of a roast. Yeah. Like be Betty White's talking about queefing and you're like, oh my God, this is (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) And that's part of, of, of what people like about roasts. So, so Norm shows up kind of against his will because he doesn't want to make fun of his friend and, and the producers and even Bob was telling him like, look, man, just throw in some F-bombs here and there. It's like what, it's what the show is about. But Norm being Norm does the complete opposite and just tells, just reads jokes out of like a, a 1940s joke book that are absolutely horribly stupid. Like they're there it's like hey you got a uh bob bob saget here's got the the face of a flower a cauliflower <laughs> that's it that's the joke <laughs> your face looks like a cauliflower <laughs> like then okay. the eight second silence after the joke <laughs> yeah but what's what's great about that is that the comedians on stage are all crying laughing because they know what norm is doing meanwhile the audience is like stone-faced, bored, bored at best and annoyed at worst because they don't get it. They don't understand what he's doing. Um, and that's just like an, another thing that I, I found interesting when just going back and looking through Norm's thing and thinking about comedians and everything is sometimes they're doing things that people just aren't going to get. But that doesn't make them not really, really funny. Like they will purposefully do things that they know people will not understand. And that's why it's funny. Yeah. Like that ends up being the joke. 
is like I'm gonna. It, I mean, it's essentially trolling in a way. It's kind of what I guess trolling is. But again, the the fact that the people are are not in on the joke makes the joke funny. So meanwhile, all those people probably talked about how Norm Macdonald sucked and he was not funny at all, and he he's a moron. Where where the exact opposite is true. <laughs> <laughs> And they derived a certain uh, smug pleasure out of out of uh, shitting on Norm Macdonald, and that to them, I'm sure, was righteous and funny in a way uh, to be able to to critique such a, a low class man. And meanwhile, think to themselves, "I'm so much funnier than this guy. I should be on stage." <laughs> I bet they really think they are too. <laughs> you know, when there's somebody who who does have like a good deadpan one liner joke. They can pull that off or uh, a sarcastic thing. I think there are a lot of people who really, truly think they're as good, if not better than that. Like, oh, I can I can say very witty, sarcastic things. I can uh, hit deadpan at the right time. I'm as good as him. The only difference is he got lucky. He got a break where he put, you know, he went out of his way to make a, a life in comedy. I didn't. I chose other things. But I think deep down, they really, truly think they're as good as people like Norm MacDonald. Okay, that's a really interesting point. Conversely, do you think anybody thinks that they're as good as LeBron James at basketball? No. No way. No, no one thinks that. No. No one at the YMCA right now thinks like eh, LeBron got some lucky breaks along the way. And that's why he's in the NBA and an all-time great. And I'm still at the rec center. If it weren't for those lucky breaks, <laughs> like that would be me, you know, on the Shoot Lakers right now, why <laughs> hoisting up championship trophies. But again, it's this weird thing where I don't know, like people are not honest with themselves <laughs> about their senses of humor or what no, is it? Like, but they also don't, I don't know what it is. I don't think they understand. I don't think they understand how complex something like a one liner can be. You know, I forget what you, you sent me the other day, but I I remember saying back that like literally not one syllable in that joke could or should be changed. Like it was that perfect with cadence and flow. It just it just popped over like seven words. It was perfect. I don't think a lot of people realize that it gets that detailed, that it gets that fine, uh, that all sorts of little things matter. And again, this is a Twitter thing. Like when, when you follow a, a bunch of people who are funny, some of them, which are practiced at sharing their funniness and others who are just funny people, you see that two people can tweet virtually the same thing, but if it's not worded the right way, it's not going to resonate. It's not going to bang. Uh, and so it's, it's not like you throw out this thing that is just plain funny and everybody's going to laugh. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. It's got to be set up, right? It's got to be delivered, right? It's got to be the, you know, the cadence of the thing has to be right. So the payoff is the payoff, just mm -hmm. whatever the format is on this that exists. And if you don't realize how complex that really is, uh, you know, how could you think it, it takes tremendous talent to pull it off? Well, it's why if you if you ever listen to any comedians, they talk about how long they have to do club dates before they can record a special. It could be a year of just doing the material over and over and over again to different audiences, testing this, uh, that didn't work, let me rephrase this, let me cut this bit. Like It's a laborious thing. It's not like Seinfeld sits down at his computer, types up his comedy act, and then 
you know, books Carnegie Hall and they start recording. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Like yeah. even guys who are uh, uh, masters at the craft have to work on the craft. Uh, uh, Seinfeld in particular, I remember hearing him discuss what exactly what you were just talking about, which is chipping away at the words, chipping away over and over and over again to get the exact right words and say the joke in as few words as possible because the more words you you throw in there you know can get in the way of that setup and that punchline and and the the whole setup part is such an important point because when i was watching norm i was thinking about uh the handful of times that i tried to do stand-up comedy uh that (laughs) didn't go all that well because i was just essentially doing punchlines i had not figured out how to do setups like doing setups is its own craft, like being able to string along the audience enough to build the premise before surprising them with the punchline is hard. It's, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. And that, that half of the equation, like I didn't get at all. And I never did it long enough to ever figure it out, but I had jokes that were pretty much just punchlines and uh, I would read those, in, you know, in front of people. And uh, essentially, it'd be like a, a room full of people. And like one one guy would be laughing hysterically the whole time. And everybody else was just kind of like, this guy is an idiot. And I was an <laughs> idiot. I was not good at it because I didn't set up those punchlines it's properly. Hard. It's uh, really hard. And, and we've talked with so many people about things like... Uh, title and thumbnail on a video yeah it's not a lot different it's it's you've got to get somebody interested whether it's to click a thing or to uh to hang around for the funny part and to you know think enough about about the thing so that whatever that punchline is is actually funny you know like they've got to get hooked on something and it's kind of the same like no matter what Really, no matter what the medium is, there's always that element of of uh, kind of setup and hook. Uh, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think a, a lot of people who are very funny and they they're loaded with uh, <laughs> with funny topics and punchlines and stuff like that. Um, that's what you said is is a good point. That I don't think they realize how hard it is and how much work it takes to do something like nail the setup. Mm-hmm. Like there have to be like a laundry list of amazingly funny hilarious like one-line things where uh the 60 seconds that should precede them are probably impossible to write like 10 people in the world are capable of writing a setup for that (laughs) to make it actually funny yeah to make it like really really funny it's very difficult yeah it's really difficult um so yeah i mean that that's that's more or less what i wanted to kind of get out is just this phenomena of people who in my estimation don't even like jokes trying to ruin them for everybody else (laughs) and i don't is there anything we can do about that i don't know i mean the first thing that and the reason i wanted to record this podcast is 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 that i just want to get this out there this concept because i haven't heard anybody talk about it in this light before like in this context yeah. Like you hear you hear people being mad about jokes and wanting comedians canceled for their jokes and you hear that end of it. But what I'm suggesting is like it this this is this to me and I would love to hear people's feedback to this. Um 
it just seems really unique to comedy. And like you said, whether it's like like a seafood restaurant or soccer matches, no one seems to apply this to anything else, to other mediums. They just it, like Not like really they just know. understand that they don't like it and they don't even bother. But I don't think anybody understands if they don't like comedy. If even Malcolm Gladwell feels the need to write some essay about how he doesn't like comedy, but also, by the way, I don't think Norm Macdonald was funny. Like, what? What is that? What am I missing? That's an. I mean, that's interesting to to hear somebody detail why they don't find funny funny. Um, I I would read a collection of essays if they were honest honest expositions on why somebody why a humorless person. <laughs> <laughs> I react the way they do. I would find that fascinating. Um, it, but I don't want it to be in judgment of humor. I want it to be them kind of just detailing what's in their head. Uh, yeah. You know, it'd be fine to have a few specific examples be like, here's, here's why my brain doesn't match up with Norm Macdonald's comedy. Fine. Then I'll take it. But yeah, I, I'm curious now. I'm curious about how deep, how deep this runs neurologically. Yeah, I mean, so so here's something that that I like to to pick up on. Um, Garman in the in the chat is saying that people do this with with movies and music, and and the suggestion here is like people will talk about how they don't like a genre of music. That's not what I'm talking about at all. So I I think that's very different than what I'm trying to say. Like I think plenty of people would say I don't like country music, and they'll be fine leaving it at that. What they don't do is they don't say, I don't like country music. And then they go in and like lambast Luke Bryan or whatever for his latest single and say like how much it sucks and that he shouldn't be making country music anymore. Though That's a different thing. Nobody does that. Like Matt, you don't like metal. Would you go onto like Archspire's later late latest single on YouTube and discuss how Dean's solo sucks and he should quit playing guitar. Like why would nobody does no. that? It's that's that's such a weird no, thing. I'm curious about certain things. So like when when we were talking about Dean and Archspire, I remember asking you, what what do you do when you listen to this? Like what situation are you in? where you pop this kind of music on and think like, Hey, this improves my life. Like this is making my current mood better than it was. It was hard for me to understand how, how music of that, like hard, fast pace, whatever, like what scenario you'd be in other than like lifting weights. If you're working out or so I totally got that, but you know, I know you're not like a power lifter. So I, I figured you weren't listening to it as you pumped the iron. Um, that's a legitimate thing to think about, I think. Uh, and you told me, you're like, yeah, when I'm driving, I like this. I'm like, okay, I can see that. I don't want that when I'm driving, but uh, other people would fall asleep, you know, to the audiobooks I listen to. So that made perfect sense. There's no judgment in it at all. No. Like it didn't occur to me to be like, all right, what is so defective about Kevin that makes him enjoy this music? No, no, I just simply didn't understand like the scenarios in which you would listen to it. Like (laughs) if you told me something like I listened to this to fall asleep, then, you know, I'm like, what the hell? Like, how does this, how does this lead you into slumber? I don't get it. Um, but, but no, you know, it wasn't some big 
gotcha to find out what's wrong with you. No, no. And it for me, I'm a sleepy person. It's like the opposite. Like I need it to just to be <laughs> alive. I need to listen to that level of intense music and anything else just kind of drags me down slow, like slower music. I mean, I, I do like some slower music. I think in my podcast with Dean, I made it seem like all I listened to is like extreme metal. I mean, that's not true, but um, at least in like recent years, more and more, that's what I've listened to just because I have so many responsibilities during the day that uh, it, yeah. ke- it keeps me like on task just to like, I don't know. It's like an energy drink for my ears almost. So... <laughs> I, th- I hope that that <laughs> clears things up a little bit, but uh, we we definitely have to get to questions. I guess this went like a little bit longer quick, than though, I wanted to, but uh, it did. But there's but what's your favorite Norm joke? What's your favorite Norm moment? There's one. There's only one. Uh, we're wiping the we're wiping humanity's hard drives of all other Norm content. What is the one thing you save? Oh, so there was this there was this moment at the. At the um, at those YouTube awards, at the YouTube Comedy Awards, where uh, Sarah Silverman was on stage and she was talking about <laughs> she was talking about Jash, uh, which was her her comedy group or comedy collective. I don't yeah. know exactly what it was. I don't think it it does exist in some. It was like a group channel. It was like a, just a group channel of comedians, wasn't it? Where yeah. they just kind of did whatever. Yeah, yeah. I actually really liked it. Um, Sarah Silverman obviously was on, was part of it. I think Michael Sarah had a show. It, it was a bunch of mm-hmm. comedians that, for some reason, started making YouTube videos that was exclusive to YouTube, and and that was neat. It didn't it didn't really last long under that under that banner. Kind of the way that Funny or Die didn't really last all that long, like under that model. It's just it was hard for them to. Mm-hmm make the money that they want to make on YouTube. But um, anyway, Sarah Silverman was on the, at the awards to kind of announce the launch of Jash. And she was really excited about it. And she was, because it's this new thing she's been working on. It's a bunch of pretty famous comedians that have decided to get together and make this you know, YouTube channel. But the way that she described it was like... She, it essentially sounded like a commune. She was basically like, yes, Jash is this like collective of free spirits who mm-hmm. get together and like make whatever art that is they feel inside of them. Like I- I'm paraphrasing, but that was the vibe that she was going that's for. That's pretty much what it was though. Yeah, that's a faithful paraphrase. And it was this big nebulous, like we have a channel where we do the funny things we want to do. I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's like we're we're unshackled and we're free to explore our inner comedian. It was like there was that sort of vibe. And Norm just like stares through her soul, kind of interrupts her and goes, "No offense, but uh that sounds like some <laughs> some commie gobbledygook," which <laughs> was and the the best part about that clip is that Sarah's face just melts. Like her enthusiasm for what she was just trying <laughs> to describe, sleep. it just slips like off it's of her. Sad f- trombone personified. Oh my, yeah. Bam, bam, ba, na, like she is just <laughs> destroyed. She is destroyed. And I've watched the clip so many times because it's such a human, it's such a human oh. moment. Her face, her reaction <laughs> to him, to Norm, being able to just like cut that thing down, like just 
just slice the Achilles tendon of what you just yeah. said wide open, just going, ah, that sounds like a bunch of commie gobbledygook. <laughs> she spends, you know, 60 seconds blowing up this big balloon, like painstakingly, lungs heaving. <laughs> yeah. And then Norm just like pops it with a with a pen. Norm like, like ha. <laughs> Norm like <laughs> pops it with like a crayon. Like it's like something like <laughs> yeah, like he shouldn't even be able to pop it. And he just goes thunk and it just blows up. Uh, and her face is just so defeated in that moment because there was nothing she could say in response. Uh, uh, that's the funniest thing to me. I probably watched that okay. moment. That's a good one. Probably two dozen times because it was so real. It was so raw. Like it was not, it was not a joke that he'd been rehearsing for, you know, 12 months. It was Charles, just Charles Khan just put her face in the episode chat. The moment at which she just she just and she does this audible he drops the bomb on her. She does this audible groan that's like, uh, like she just it's like a hard <laughs> sigh. It's like a defeated sigh. She's just like ah, uh, like a painful <laughs> sigh that she lets out, and the whole thing is just so unbelievable. And again. Can I go back to my first point? He doesn't hate Sarah Silverman. Yes. He doesn't hate Jess. He's no. he doesn't think that 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 they're stupid <laughs> or evil or you know they have ill intent. No, he's just he thought being like the older out of touch guy raining on her parade was funny in the moment, and it was. And it was exactly. He's it was like an awesome response. This is going to be the funniest thing I can say right now, so I'm going to go for it. And and he did that over and over and over again. Um. The other thing, let me say real quick, if people want to look this up, is when uh, Norm was on Conan and uh, he stayed on while Courtney Thorne Smith was on to promote a movie with Carrot Top called Chairman of the Board. Oh, God. And for some reason, Norm is still there. He just stuck around, which was like an old timey thing to do. You know, the guests would do that on Carson. They would just slide down and like all the guests would kind of hang out the whole time. And Norm was just had such reverence for like the old time comedians. So I'm guessing that's why he did this. He just stuck around. And so Courtney Thorne Smith is trying to promote this movie that she's in, which is what you do when you make a movie and you go on the, these late night circuits. And Norm is just ripping on Carrot Top. He's not making fun of her, but he's like pretty, they're just making joke after joke about how <laughs> dumb Carrot Top is essentially. <laughs> and it's very very funny and conan is playing along but he's still trying to kind of rein things in at the host and finally like conan like tries to pull the segment together and is like all right you know let's promote this movie what is the movie called they hadn't even named the movie yet courtney thorne smith hadn't even got to that point yet because they just kept going in circles about ripping on it so she finally goes <laughs> you know the movie is called chairman of the board and Conan looks at Norm and in, in this moment is like, all right, let's you let's see you do something with that. You know, let's see you make a joke <laughs> out of that. Like, I dare you. There's no way you can make something. You can't make fun of that, Norm. And Norm with his his little conniving brain just sits there for like a beat, like like a second or two. And he goes, hey, I bet uh, chairman of the board, I bet board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, 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 they just lose it. Like Conan loses it. They all lose it. 
because he was challenged on the spot. Like, I dare you to make fun of this. And amazingly, he comes up with a better joke than he had come up with the entire segment. Like that joke where he was put on the spot, I dare you to make a joke, was 10 times better than like the 15 <laughs> jokes he made before that. It's uh, That part is also just so freaking amazing because it's like, how how did you do that? How did he do that? But oh, that's that's why people love Norm is that pe- like comedians can look at that and be like, that guy was amazing at what we try to be good at, basically. <laughs> Well, it'll be a while before somebody, uh, somebody has his style, uh, and, and is, you know, in that class, I don't <sighs> want to say as good or better or whatever, who knows, but just be, just being really funny with that same sort of presence. It's going to be hard. Um, well, do we have well, any, uh, you questions? mentioned questions. Yeah. There's one that's a good segue from Dan the Latch, and this is this is really good. I don't know how it's not come up earlier. Uh, Dan asks if either of us believe the limitations of uh, the written word play into humor being misinterpreted on the internet, and what are thoughts on clarifiers such as slash s that's you know to indicate something is sarcastic, and do they undermine the nuance of comedy? That's a very good question. I'm particularly intrigued, yeah, by the concept of like the tone indicators and trigger warnings and things like that. Yeah, that's a really good question. To answer your first question, yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. Not only are the limitations of the English language a problem, but also the limitations of references. So you can make a reference or an, an analogy that's part of your joke that people will have. If people might have no idea what you're talking about. Well, guess what? They're not going to find that funny. Like if they don't get what your reference is, that's, integral to making your joke funny then your joke is not going to be funny to that person so i mean that's just self-evident honestly uh but slash s no thanks i'm not no way i would never do that i would never do that because to me that ruins the joke for the people who would get it and at that point you might as well not make the joke at all i really dislike those things uh, I think more in in terms of the warnings at the beginning of TV shows. So, so I, I tweeted like a year ago. I forget what show I was watching, but it was some completely kind of inoffensive, goofy western, something like that. And uh, it gives the rating at the beginning, and up in the top, it's it's just says smoking. I'm like I, I didn't realize that you had to have warnings for somebody smoking a cigarette. Oh, it's been that's been that way for uh, a anyway. while. Yeah, I guess I didn't notice. Uh, but now I, I look at all of them and it sucks because uh, so, for example, putting something uh, putting something like sex in in that, if you see that, you know that it's going to happen. And there are only so many opportunities in most movies for something like that to happen. When that begins to happen, you know exactly what's happening because this is what you were being warned about. Uh, same with you know, certain types of violent warnings and things like that. You know, it used to be you would watch a movie and not know what you're going to get. And when you got some scene that turned into a crazy romance or some shockingly violent gore scene that you did not see coming, <laughs> oh, right? That, you know, these things shocked the hell out of you. And it was awesome. It was, I mean, that was the, the punch. Uh, the more you label anything, uh, as it as it's happening or beforehand, oh, you take away that punch. You just you just dilute the thing 
with water. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, you mix uh, this packet of stuff up in a 16 ounce bottle. It's like, no, I'm going to put it in a gallon and see how that turns out. You know, you just get this horribly diluted thing that just, you don't even want to drink it. Just drink water at that point. It's terrible. And that's how I feel when I see slash S. I'm like, why would you bother saying something sarcastically if you have to label it as sarcasm? Why not just say the thing? Right. Uh, yeah. What's so, what's so I, I, funny to me about that is that this is such a preference thing because I, I'm on the same page with you fully. Like for, for example, I don't, I don't watch trailers to movies that I want to see. Because to me, watching the trailers spoils moments for them. Uh, spo spo spoils moments, yeah, for them. Uh, be them being the movie, but for me being the person watching it. Um, so I, I avoid that. Conversely, uh, I had a roommate who would read spoilers for movies before he or, or TV shows or episodes <laughs> before watching the thing. Like he would, Why? he would like Why? actively look for leaks on the internet. As to exactly what was going to happen before watching the thing. And I, I would always like. What was his strategy there? Why did he enjoy that? I don't know. I don't. Uh, dude, I don't know. But he did. And I, it would it would break my brain. And I would I'd be like, why do you I would be like, why do you do this? Like, why do you want to know what happens before you watch this thing? And he just did. He just yeah. wanted to know and he couldn't wait. And for whatever reason, <laughs> God bless him. It didn't interrupt his enjoyment of than watching the thing, I guess, you know? So I'm with you on the, on the like least amount of kind of spoilers as possible, no matter how big or small they may be. Yeah. I don't like them. Don't like it at all. Um, Isaac's got a quickie. Will we get a live create unknown recording at the next VidCon? Let's, let's break this down into two questions, Kevin. When oh, do you geez. think the next VidCon will actually be? Oh, man. Be? Can we <laughs> what are you putting your money on? Can we put a moratorium on the word VidCon until we're <laughs> know, physically right? at one? Because oh. at this point, man, yeah. it's like... <sighs> it's not real until until our, our feet are like in contact with the convention center. That's when it'll be real. Yeah, yeah. It's not real until I'm in Anaheim. There's no other reason for me to go to Anaheim in the world. Kevin hates Disney. <laughs> other than Kevin hates Disney confirmed. <laughs> I, Kevin hates going places confirmed. I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Certainly not Anaheim for any reason, unless it's for VidCon. So supposedly it's happening in June, but good Lord, I'm not banking on that. We'll see. And we'll see if. You know, we'll see if we can do something uh, while we're there. You know, it's increasingly common for uh, places to set up kind of temporary studios that just work for anybody. You know, they pop in and, and sit down. We did one of those at uh, one of the FECONs, didn't we? Where they just had a setup where it's like, hey, if you want to record a podcast with us, we've got the mics and the, the good room for it. Just come in and we'll record. Um, uh, and I think the win in Las Vegas, they just installed a podcast studio in the lobby. Okay. Um, this is mostly for sports podcasts and they have almost like a, a live radio show going most of the time. Somebody's in that booth doing a, a sports podcast. Um, you know, it's increasingly common and I think, uh, there will probably be opportunities to have a very easy recording when that does come around, but who knows? Who I trust nothing at this point. Absolutely nothing. No, we're, we're certainly both open to it, though. No. Uh, Conrad's got a good one. If you could force something you've said or done to be a meme, what would you choose? Oh, geez. Is hard. That is, is hard. hard. 
It's hard to choose yourself to be a meme. That seems weird to me. I could choose one for you. I think it could be a very funny meme to have you pointing the uh, the Nerf gun at Balloon Kevin. I can see that becoming some kind of meme. <laughs> okay. And you like, and because you, a guy you label me sh- the, shooting the like gun his mini me and the balloon. Yeah. Ki- kind of like the jealous yeah, girlfriend just the meme. concept. Yeah. And it, like the guy uh, the, the concept of somebody killing a little representation of themselves is just kind of funny. Mm. I can see that becoming something. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with that. I, I can't I can't answer how to meme myself. I find that awkward. That's a hard one. Yeah, yeah. And for you, we just need we need more funny pictures from you, Matt. <laughs> I don't have very many. I know. I we don't. just have you and I, I, in your shed. I quit That's about after, it. Uh, yeah, shed and overalls. I that was it. Like, okay, good picture. Fifteen years ago. Why would you take a second one? That's it. <laughs> I'm set for life. I got one. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's 1886. <laughs> Tom Video Tom just posted an image in the episode chat of the scene I'm describing, but with Kevin and Balloon Kevin's faces swapped, and it's amazing. <laughs> what is the that is hard <sighs> thing? Charles Kahn posted a meme of me saying that is hard. I've never seen that before. That's that's an old one given the, the beanie. Very old, yeah. That one's from the deep. Um, That's weird. Oh, this is a good general one from Demetrius. Um, And we have touched on it a little bit in the past, uh, but he says he's been chomping at the bit to ask this. Where do you get your ideas from? And I think that's a good question to revisit because things are a little different now than when we talked about it before. We talked about it like a couple years ago, entirely in the context of how a Vsauce 2 video gets made. And now that's not, that's not really all it's about. You know, you're doing stuff on TikTok. You're choosing which things fit best as shorts. You're doing content in a bunch of different ways. Um, how does it happen? Uh, Especially well, when it changes so often. Yeah. I don't know that that could possibly be even its own episode, but you know what I mean? I will like, say it's, yeah, it's something that with all the um, imperfect information, in that entire game, like not knowing, not knowing what's going to stick, who it's going to stick to, how long it's going to stick, whether a second one would stick, it's constant experimentation. So regardless of how the ideas happen, which don't you think, Kevin, that it's, it's almost always from something that one of us has read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. It's from, it's from a lot of poking around. That's for sure. No matter what, Yeah, it's from a lot of poking around and, and reading and rabbit holes and that sort of thing but ultimately it comes down to just like a confluence of can this make an entertaining video have other people done it before and if they have how have they done it you know what would be unique about this one what would the title and thumbnail be like i hate to be that clinical about it but it's the most important thing (laughs) yeah yeah if you've got a great idea that you can't conceive of a thumbnail for then you know or a it's, title. It's probably a bit of a it's like how do I non-starter? I mean, we've done a lot of we've done a lot of videos on Vsauce 2 where coming up with the title was extremely hard because the yes. the the concept topics where it's like don't know how to do this. Yeah, the concepts themselves are so God, you you know, you know what I I saw some there's a comment recently, a couple of comments that I read recently that were like I used to hate you a lot. 
and I hated your videos. <laughs> okay. And I thought you were wrong and annoying all the time. But then I f- finally realized that I was wrong and now I love you. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like, now I realize you were right, but you're still annoying. Like I would have laughed at that. <laughs> no, well, that would have been a, a better joke. But that this wasn't <laughs> yeah, this wasn't yeah. a joke. This was like a, a, a confession <laughs> from some person who watched my videos, was confused and annoyed by them, and then later like understood, I, I guess, what I was saying and came around to what the point of the video was. And then it's like, oh, okay, I like this guy. Um, which makes sense because so many of the videos are purposefully about hard to cognitively grasp concepts. And when you're making videos about, hey, 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 here's an entire video about this thing that people don't understand. Oh, wow. What a surprise. A lot of people don't understand this. Like, that's not a shocking response. That's literally what the video was about. I mean, to, to me, part of the response of people not getting it is almost f- funny because it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what the video is about. Like, most people don't understand this and they think about it the wrong way and you're proving the point and yeah it's tough i like don't know what to do one with of your that. recent shorts yeah like recent shorts you know it's about um the, the fraction of two-thirds being a conceptual leap from uh, fractions that are just one over something um a lot of people didn't think and still don't think that that is actually a conceptual leap they just don't you know they're like i don't i don't get why this is a thing and i don't think it is well what can you do about that? You know, you can do your best at saying, like, here's something I think is important. You can't make anybody else think it's important. <laughs> you know, you kind of can't force them to do that. Well, no, it's like saying, hey, please think about this thing abstractly. And they say either I can't or I won't. It's like, all right, well, bye. <laughs> like, I don't know how to help you. Yeah. It's like, I guess we're done here. No. If you're not going to think about it abstractly and that's what makes it interesting then it's not interesting so have a nice day yeah and it is a big deal that all of a sudden you have a thing that when you add it to itself or multiples of itself you get more than one thing as opposed to always thinking in terms of of divisions of one adding up right like it doesn't seem like a really big deal but it's it's a massive massive uh kind of jump in sophistication of using numbers, you know, and if you say to somebody like, Hey, it was a big deal when the decimal, like decimal place, place value, um, entered in, you know, to, to kind of sense of mathematics, they're like, Oh, well, yeah, of course I can see how difficult things would be without place value being a thing. Well, look, that happens in a lot of different places. Uh, those, those big leaps that happened over time that you may not have really thought about, but just think about the implications of numbers without that thing. It does take a long time. Like you, you really have to, you have to think about it and think what would be different. And it can be kind of a deep rabbit hole. And if you're watching a 40 second short, well, what are you going to do? Pause the thing and like, think about math for 10 minutes. Like, no, 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 no. There's just this knee jerk reaction. that's like, don't really get this. I don't think it's cool. This is dumb. Right. <laughs> that's just down. the reality of it. Whereas, yeah, yeah we're saying, yeah, hey, that's not a thing. You know, that thing that you take for granted, don't take it for granted for a second. Imagine you don't take this for granted for a second. And they say, no, thanks. <laughs> right. No, thanks. Not interested. <laughs> Going to continue taking it for granted. Uh, moving along. It's like there's there's this old um, cognitive test that they would give to 
three or four year olds that has that has to do with theory of mind. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast. Have I talked about this with the hidden candy? I feel like you've, oh, you talked to me about it. I don't know if you've talked about it on the podcast. Okay. So there's this test where, okay, say there's, there's two four-year-olds, child A and child B. You bring child A into the room and you show child A a candy bar. Say, hey, child A, look at this candy bar. And then you show them uh, it being hidden under a pillow. You say, hey, you know, child A, here's this piece of candy. I'm going to hide it under a pillow now. Okay. All right. That's it. Now you bring in child B. Okay. Child B doesn't know that there's candy. How would child B have any idea there was candy? Child B just sees a pillow on the floor. Okay. So the test is whether or not child A has any understanding that child Mm. B does not know there's candy under the pillow. Right. That two people have different information about the world. That two people, that they have information that yeah. this person doesn't. Correct. Exactly. Right. And this yep. is a important, a big deal. <laughs> important thing yeah. for people. It's a huge milestone for kids to hit at a young age to understand, yeah. like, I know the candy's there. And I also know that this person does not know that the candy's there because they were not in the room when the adult hid the candy some people and kids can, they can't do this up as they're developing yeah it, and it's it can be really funny when a tiny kid tries to lie about something that is completely and totally obvious because they're making such a huge error uh considering what you know and what they know and you know them thinking you don't know something that you obviously know because like the chocolate is smeared all over the baby's face <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know you can look at it and be like yes you just ate a pound of chocolate didn't you um no 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 but but that mismatch is exactly exactly the same kind of thing yeah yeah so i feel like the 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 general thesis of this episode has been mismatch <laughs> oh man but yeah but again, I, I would love to go back um, to the original conceit of the episode that I had in regards to what I see as being a strange, strange thing that happens with comedy and, and nothing else as far as I can tell. If anybody can pull up some sort of analogy, I'd be interested in hearing it. Or if, if anybody has read anything or heard anything further about why this happens, but I don't think there's anything we could do about it. I just think at the very least it's, it's, it's worth being cognizant of. Um, and I don't know, maybe at some point enough people could be cognizant of it that when people butt into that, they can be, uh, I don't know, ushered out the, out the back door proverbially <laughs> say, you know what? This is not Tased for you. Ragged out. This is not for you. And not everything <laughs> is for everyone. And that's okay. That's what makes life interesting (laughs) so makes people interesting (laughs) that we have different interests and loves and passions and dislikes and everything but uh yeah not a big fan of malcolm gladwell's article or or that type of response to to like the fomo of like not getting why other people think that's what it seemed like to me it's like everybody else thinks this guy's so funny not me clackety clack clack clackety clack (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's, that's him. what is what is clackety clack that's him pounding his keyboard that's the sound of the, his oh. keyboard keys like like clacking away in 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 <laughs> anger at not understanding why norm mcdonald is funny to people 
<laughs> clackety clack clack clackety clack send thank god i let everybody I'm know brilliant yeah <laughs> Jeez, louise um but yeah let us know what you think about this because i am interested so leave the comments if you're listening on youtube leave comments in the uh, the old uh, youtube chat or send us yeah or just hop in the discord let's go back to that that's Get the best way to chat with us is in our discord it's where we record these episodes it's where our patrons are at so if you would like to do that uh we would love to have you but i think that that's it we're done for questions i think yeah we're good. we gotta be tonight okay i think we're yeah. good all right everyone uh we will see you next tcu night next wednesday until then we're out of here see you space cowboys Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. We'd like to extend a huge thank you and congratulations to the Tots and Dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every single month. A tremendous shout out to our elite baby gang commanders. Linus, our newest. Trevsdead, Boromir, Botdogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Andrew, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Baseweight, Monahim, Dojangles, and Zero. And thanks to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mafasanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebread, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Ryan, Kamikaze, Maria, Marco, Sheep, Tom, Videoger, Jelksies, and Dan the Latch. Thank you as well to our indentured servants, producer Dan Yoshua and producer editor Ben Webster. Thanks to Baseweight for use of Created in the Unknown for the opening theme and to Electro Voice for giving us mics to sound good on top of it. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production in partnership with Studio 71. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.